So I have a question for you. Which comes first, title or influence? Or is it influence, then title? Or do they come at the same time? It's an interesting topic as I ponder this after I listened to the audiogram we snipped from my interview with John Robertson. You know, he talks about title and influence, and hopefully you have both as you ascend your leadership career or if you're already in the C-suite. It's important for both because it does command some amount of respect, but it is also not assumed just because you have the title, you have influence. It would be nice if you had both, but I will tell you honestly, and there's a couple things I want you to think really closely about what I'm about to share is that just because you have a title does not mean you do have influence. And there are many people in the rank and file that do not have the title, but they are silent influencers leading the culture of your organization. And they have far more power in terms of influence and they just don't need the title. And then there are people that think they need the title in order to gain respect, but you just don't. However, it is nice to have both. (laughs) It is nice to, because you've been an expert, you've done well in your career, to get a title that shows you have arrived and you are proud to have that title. But with it comes great responsibility that in the work that you do, you responsibly influence the trajectory of the business or the initiative that you are leading. And if you haven't fine-tuned these elements of title and influence in order to advance your career objectives and the goals of the business, you might need some help. Just a couple fine-tuning things in order to achieve the outcome you need to receive. But I'll just say, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Again, go for that title. But you may also need to understand what it takes to influence and make positive change in the work that you're doing. So I am grateful, grateful that we have this opportunity to share this interview with John Robertson, an amazing person. And I can't wait for you to listen to the rest of the conversation. There's always two leaders in every organization, the ones who have the title and the ones who have the influence. Ideally, we want them to be the same person. So sharing with those key people, what did I learn through that crisis? Then the second piece is, what are my key takeaways? One or two things that impacted me. And then whether it be a coach, a colleague, somebody who's wearing a black and white striped jersey who can just call the plays as they see them. Who's that person that's going to come alongside and just say, so how do you want people to describe you non-physically? What's one step that you can build on to practice? Because it's about growth. It's not trying to hatch something. And the number one thing that we do, especially as human beings, is we think immediate and yet nothing of value happens immediate. Values are always short-term costly for long-term benefit. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. 
Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful that you've joined us for another episode of The Drop-In CEO podcast. I have the distinct pleasure of speaking to amazing guests week after week and bring their insights and inspirations to you. And I do ask, please, if you like this podcast, subscribe, rate, review, tell others. And I do also want to thank you. I have been seeing some amazing downloads for the show. We have hit over 200 episodes, over 10,000 downloads, and I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you and looking forward to continuing to bring you great programming. But this week, I am so honored to be speaking to an amazing guest, John Robertson, He is the founder and president of Fort Long Services. He has built his service with a focus on encouragement-based approach, resolving root causes as opposed to treating crises and transition in the workplace symptomatically as if often the practice. A trusted thinking partner with 30-plus years of assisting individuals and organizations to manage all forms of crises and change. John leverages a value-anchored ethos as a leadership development specialist, helping organizations and individuals define the new norm and thrive. John, it is my pleasure to welcome you onto the show. And by the way, John, just before we got on for our listeners, we were just talking and getting to know each other. You do have a good voice. So you are guesting on my show. You should be thinking about maybe a podcast yourself. Great voice. You got to listen to the universe because you never know that could be your new calling, but it is all about you. And just a little bit for my listeners right now, when I was introduced to John, one of the things that was really interesting to me was about leveraging crises or change and coming out in a better place because of it. And I will say crises and change is a constant now. It's not a one-off event. And I really think audiences and people need to be thinking and anticipating and understanding the risk, understanding how to respond, not react to things like this. So I am so looking forward for your insights, but John, please share a little bit more about yourself personally, as well as your journey and the work that you're doing now. So 30 plus years doing this work, and I actually got started, we lived in a small community and there was a mining accident where we lived. And some of my friends were, it's a Dutch or German word for draggerman, which is your mine rescue people. And they came back really walloped. Some of their spouses came, said, John, I need you to come and talk to them. So over the years, I realized I've never met anybody who goes through a significant event and needs to be fixed. It's not like we're broken. It has to do with grief. A psychological charley horse is a term that I lose. For some people, including military, it can be a moral charley horse. Some of the things that people get walloped with and still in the workplace. Sometimes the things happen in the workplace that, wow, where did that come from? And all of a sudden they feel like they're standing on a trap door and somebody pulled the lever. This is deep. Keep going. Well, and and so what happens is in order to grow forward, to grow through crisis or change requires me, and I'm going to quote the U.S. Marines, they have a Semper Fidelis. Many people don't know where Semper Fi comes from. Semper means always, Fidelis means faithful or loyal. I teach the premise from Passio Fidelis. It's a made-up term, but Passio is passion, the root word of passion. So what is it I am passionately faithful, passionately loyal to? Because 
in the workplace, in the community, if you play a sport, you're going to understand this really quickly. When I get injured, when you get injured playing a sport that you love, you will find a way to get back in that game. When I get injured playing a game I don't enjoy, any injury takes me out. So imagine what happens in our workplaces when aspiring leaders, C-suite leaders, some of those key influencers are playing with Pasio Fidelis and they get a wallop and people around them see how they respond by their honesty. Wow, that stung. But they get back in the game. And I can't remember who it was. It was a pastor, minister. But I believe, don't quote me on that. They said the comment, beware the leader who does not walk with a limp. And it's a reference to the Old Testament, to the Bible of, I think it was Jacob. Somebody wrestled with God, the angel, and got a a limp. And for any leader, any person that doesn't wrestle with what their real values are in the game of life, we are going to get wallops. And without prying, Deb, I can personally guarantee you that on your journey, you have had one or two Charlie horses along the way. Absolutely. And I'm going to react to that. So I see this conversation. We are going to weave in and out of different things. Normally, a podcaster will just say, I'm going to to ask these five questions and you as the host or guest are going to answer them and then we're done. But no, we are going to weave in and out of this conversation. Ironically, I am a curler. I throw stones on ice, sweep, and yell. (laughs) And a year ago, August, and I know I'm trying not to date these things, but over a year ago, I stepped wrong. I was not mind on task off the ice. This was in the summer. I fractured my ankle. And curling season, my sport that I love, was coming up in about two months. And I was frustrated. It was a wallop (laughs) to my ego and not being able to be my fullest. But I stepped on the ice about six weeks later, and I could not turn my ankle. In curling, you have to lunge forward. So you stretch out. And my ankle didn't perform the way it normally did. And I said, oh, my God, how am I going to ever get back into curling? I was still limping. I wasn't my full self. But gosh, by golly, I got back into curling. I actually had to change my delivery because of the wallop. But I actually found in the end, it slowed my delivery down and I got better. So there's a situation where a wallop impacted me for a short while, but by struggling through it, I actually wound up better in the end. So that's my story. (laughs) You've perfectly illustrated when I talk with people about defining their new norm. I used to describe it as define the new norm. And I realized, well, that's not right because it's not a static definition. It's a dynamic. Like as you grow forward, what I thought I knew when I was 12, now that I'm 20, now that I'm 30, takes on different meanings. So defining a refinable new norm. And there's a whole process of refining that means you got to apply some heat to boil away impurities so that you can get a pure product on the other side. Yeah, it's not right, wrong, or indifferent. You're just constantly evolving. A wallet might accelerate a change or set you back a little bit to pause, reflect, course correct. Again, these are all painful in the moment. <laughs> You lose your confidence, you lose your identity or whatever the immediate impact is. But your work is just so interesting about, yes, there's that initial impact, but it's what we as individuals or we as corporations do with that after it. So I would love for you to go a little bit deeper into your work to 
help people or organizations who get walloped? So a couple of things, instead of reacting and calling on-site support, which may or may not help, it's, okay, what are we going to do as a community? What matters for us growing forward? What's our definition of success? What does focus mean? And so I'm going to pick this wise woman's book, I don't know, a CEO's compass or something, and factor in the two norths, the compass or magnetic north and the true north. And so therefore, leadership has to define what their north is so that when winds, currents, everything else get in the way of where they're sailing towards, and I'm not a sailor, but where they're navigating towards, they can adjust. They stay focused on their north. But what happens is when a wallop happens, it works like a windstorm, a current or something in their way. That is the focus. Second piece is what's their motivation? Why do they want to improve? That's the value statement. And what I call hot water teabag moments, those crises when what we're in, if you ever want to find out what's important to a person or an organization, put them in hot water. Just like a teabag, hot water teabag principle, what's inside will always leak out. Go on. <laughs> what do we want to leak out in our organization? So as a leader, how do you want a person, not you, Deb, but how does the leader want somebody to describe them non-physically? And that's a key for an aspiring leader or a current leader. Because if I don't define how I want people to describe me non-physically, I'm setting them up to define me by their perception. Mm. And so what's the focus? What are my values? What do I want to leak out in hot water? And then who are the people, and I'm going to go back to the boat analogy, but who are the people I want to put in the boat with me to help sail towards that destination? Very impactful. And I'm going to come away with from this interview with all these expressions that I've never heard for. But what I love about that is that there are people that may do similar work to you, but what differentiates you are your insights, the hot water tea bag, et cetera. And I really like what, the way you're going with this. So, you know, my question for you is for the leader that has been walloped. You must have a bit of this in your book. And I, maybe we go into your book now running towards the roar, which is due out very shortly. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just writing a book. Actually, let's stop a second. How did writing the book impact you? I mean, why did you write the book and how did it impact you in the process? So two things. Writing the book was painful. <laughs> and ironically, the book is on thriving through crisis or being more than resilient. So writing the book was actually an exercise of my passio fidelis. So it's kind of one of those, I'm living it. And if I didn't have the right people in the boat with me, the book would never come to public. Yeah. And I did too. I, I had a book coach just because I knew what I could do well, but trying to figure out how to get it published was just not my thing. And it would have been painful. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you on that one. So, I mean, fast forward for the leader who has been punched in the stomach, who has had a wallop. Um, they may know no other way in reacting to crisis. What are some of the things or insights in your book on what a leader can do differently in order to navigate through a crisis? So under no conditions, and I'm announcing this to your audience, under no conditions, zero conditions, am I saying take up smoking. However, I'm going to steal from what smokers do. First thing a leader must do is like a smoker, they take a break. And again, I'm prefacing this with don't take up smoking. But first thing is they take a break. 
The second thing they do on their break is they do deep breathing exercises. And if, if a person's taken mindfulness training or any meditation training, the first thing we're taught is breathing exercises. So I'm taking a break and I'm doing deep breathing. And the third thing a smoking, a smoker is, is they are outside with social support. They're not outside with anti-smokers or hates or whatever you, I'm supposed to call the people who don't like smokers. So what a leader needs to do, deep breath, take a break, social support. And then the premise is don't unplug from work, get plugged in. There's somewhere along the line, we've created this illusion that I can be resilient or thrive if I unplug from work. That's the same psychology as saying, I put my phone on airplane mode, it's going to recharge it. That's not going to recharge anybody's cell phone, putting it on airplane mode. When I step away from work, what am I plugged into that will recharge me? I'm going to quote you, plugging into curling will recharge your battery. It does. It does something physical, get all that good chemistry, any stress out of my system. Plus, as a person who has curled, there's a lot of psychology involved with it. Oh, (laughs) yes. And emotions. So if I'm a lead or a second and and you're the skip and you're yelling, shout, uh, sweep, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't take that as a personal offense. That's about getting the rock into the house. That is nothing to do with Deb yelling at John. It's that competitive, emotional, whatever you want me to call those other factors. Yes, you're right. And I've often talked about blending sport and business. There are a lot of similarities, but I simply change the environment, turn myself towards a different group of people that I seek to support, coach, mentor, root on, or develop a strategy to get the result we want. So you're right. It's not quite unplugging from who I am as a person. No, that's why clarifying my values are so important. Like I'm sandwich generation. I have aging parents and not children still at home, but I have children around me. So I have responsibilities. And in the workplace, any leader who he or she genuinely cares for their people, and I mean genuinely cares, not the facade, but genuinely cares for their people, will have some battery drain. That's just the reality of caring for people. So what do they plug into that doesn't drain but charges their battery? And that will not happen by accident. That requires an intentional step of deep breathing, of taking a break, of social support, and some of those clarifying those pieces. So I think, oh my, that is such insightful. So again, for people listening to that, taking a bath, deep breathing, social support, and just get away from the current situation or in immediate environment is so important to be able to come back as the leader that you need to be. And so let's just say now the leader, whether they are the CEO, leader of the company, or even the aspiring who has also facing that crisis, you talk about in some of your work that reframing then the crisis as an opportunity. So let's just say they come back from their moment, their break, and now they need to properly respond and lead. How do they reframe the crisis as an opportunity? So a couple of factors involved, and the key in this is trust. I think it was Stephen Covey. Somebody once said, at the speed of trust, or I can only lead at the speed of trust. And what happens is, what did I learn? I have to start sharing that with key people. 
And there's always two leaders in every organization, the ones who have the title and the ones who have the influence. Ideally, we want them to be the same person. That's not always the case. So sharing with those key people. Then the second piece is, what are my key takeaways? One or two things that impacted me. And then whether it be a coach, colleague, uh, somebody who's wearing a black and white striped jersey who can just call the plays as they see them. Who's that person that's going to come alongside and just say, so how do you want people to describe you non-physically? What's one step that you can build on to practice? Because it's about growth. It's not trying to hatch something. And the number one thing that we do, especially as human beings, is we think immediate and yet nothing of value happens immediate. Values are always short-term costly for long-term benefit. Yeah, I talk about that a lot in that taking just back control because when you get wallops, you, you have to take the moment to pause. And I use the pause and reflect analogy, but just taking that time for yourself. And then it's a little bit of, you might lose your confidence in the moment, but think about what is it that you can do in the moment, in the next hour, in the next week, in the next month that moves you one step forward in taking back control and as you say, move it from the crisis it is, but how do you move it to some opportunity? Because I see it just as data, information, reflect on what is it I could have done differently, but what can I do now? So, so impactful. And we keep getting into curling here. Just a quick question. Have you ever curled before? I have. Yeah. I've never been a skip, but I've played all the other three positions. Okay. Okay. Do you have a favorite? Honestly, I enjoy not being a skip. So it's more what I don't like. I'm fine with Because for me and how, when I relax, I like to just do something physical, whether it be splitting a cord of firewood or that kind of thing. So for me, curling is relaxing if I'm the lead or the second, because all I have to do is throw a rock and then sweep. Very interesting. I do all the positions. I'm a very good lead because I just have very good finesse, guard, and you know, roll behind kind of weight. Mm -hmm. I don't prefer throwing heavy stones because I will never do peel weight. And I know that's a mindset. But I also really, really have grown to respect the skip position and being mindful of the strategy and how the ice is performing. And also I talk about being able to help leverage people's skills to the best in order to get the right results. So we keep coming back to curling here. Yeah. (laughs) But what happens in the workplace is we're competing. Any business that is not competing is already losing. So the key is what are we competing against? Mm -hmm. Not everybody else. And so in curling, a perfect example is a good skip can share their thoughts or feelings with a third or somebody else. Mm -hmm. And giving that person permission to say, yeah, I'm not sure what you're seeing there, but I'm not seeing that option. And a skip, listening. What is leadership? Leadership is, I call it, being a shepherd. It's in front of people walking the talk. Mm -hmm. Many leadership models are more built around ranching, which is we come behind people and drive them in the direction Mm -hmm. we want them to go. Yeah, it's funny. I just had was curling last night and I was the vice skip, the third. And it's important to have good chemistry with the leader because they do depend on you to bounce ideas off of making sure we're doing the right call respecting them if they say, no, I still want to do that, and then providing the support that's needed. And again, if it doesn't work, you learn. But you have such insight. You poured it into your book, again, Run Towards the Roar. But how did you come to this work? Did you also, along the way, was there a pivotal moment or something happened to you 
or an observation that says this needs to be addressed because of, I just want to know what the genesis of all this work is. So a couple pieces converged for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number one, I got tired of treating symptoms. So when there was a crisis, trying to find a way to settle people down. Secondly, I believe that people are naturally resilient. With the right supports, people will want to stay in the game. And another piece is I have seen people do things that many people believe they couldn't have done because they are so passionate and committed to doing it. I love what uh, Admiral Stockdale says in Good to Great, with Jim Collins' book. It's called The Stockdale Paradox. The survivors of the POW, he called it the Stockdale Paradox. It's a belief that in the end, we will prevail. However, we have brutal realities to confront before we get there. And so all of that, and because of my background, I also actually started out as a clergy, a pastor, a minister, whatever title. And when I was meeting with people, it wasn't about diagnosing, fixing, and all those other things. It was, okay, so how do you need people in your boat to row with you, not shouting from shore, saying, paddle harder? Okay. Okay. Very insightful. And I appreciate that. So now fast forward with this insight, you see that this is vitally necessary for organizations. What's a situation or story where you actually have partnered with either a leader or business? What was the situation and how did they transform on the other side? I can give you both successes and epic failures. So let me brag and do the success one first. Let's do that. Yep. So it was a small business owner, smaller staff, and This situation, he had a toxic employee who was a key, what you and I would call middle management, middle leader, but this person was a key person in the company. So they were trying a whole bunch of things to address this toxic person, and they wouldn't call that person toxic, but everybody had been on the receiving end of it. We started to clarify the small business leader's focus and his values, and when we started to work with the team... All of a sudden, light switches started to go on, and it was a huge, huge epiphany, I guess is the best way, aha moment, where, oh, this is why everything's going sideways when that person, because the values could not match. And so therefore, what ended up happening was they were able to take two months, figure out a mutual separation, parting of the way, whatever you want me to call that agree to disagree moment where the best thing for you is to go in a path that will honor your values. Another leader that I've been working with is a leader of dozens of people. I'm not going to even quote numbers. I'm not sure how many people he's responsible for. He started applying for other jobs and he got in one of his hot water tea bag moments. And his solution was, you know what? I'm not prepared to do this. He started applying for jobs. We were walking through some of the content of the book, and at the end of it, he just called yesterday and he said, you know, John, I really don't like you, but I do love you because I'm realizing I was actually running from instead of running toward, and I'm not honoring my values by leaving. I love this insight. Life is complex. We are walloped by different situations, and sometimes intellectually, we can't figure out what's right or wrong or have good decision logic. So sometimes you have to go back to your values, things that are non-negotiable in how you feel, family, community, et cetera, even though it could be 
unrelated to work, those values that you get from sitting around the dinner table are really important and you cannot separate them. And once you establish that, then the remaining decisions of how you want to behave, operate, directions you want to go into, all of a sudden, to your point, the light bulb moment, you can make decisions so much better. And I do love what you said about the running away versus running to. Running away, yes, is one impetus for growth or change. Running to is sometimes more powerful if you're very clear on what two is or your values. Think about the terms that we use. How does one, how does any person or organization evaluate something when we're not clear on what the values are? Go figure. (laughs) Go figure, exactly. Wow. And so how do I want people to describe me non-physically and our values are where we spend our time and our money. Those are our real values. So the values on a website Mm -hmm. and the values that everybody operates by. And make sure those values are really entrenched in people and the organization and not just on the wall. That requires discipline, communication, and having conversation with people to internalize and understand, and then we can all live on the same page. Absolutely. John, this has been an amazing interview. I so appreciate you playing along and we going in a bunch of different directions, but (laughs) your work is amazing. I love your insights in terms of crises being uh, times of opportunity, and I wish you luck with your book, Run Towards the War. Are there any last thoughts that you would like to share with our audience before we bring it to a close? Just, I call it the very approach, Deb, and it's a really simple acronym. Our values, so social support, values which get encouraged, allow us to be responsible so we take the initiative. Mm. So in the workplace, if somebody says, well, that person, that leader, that employee is not taking the initiative, I always go back and say, okay, what are the values that are being encouraged here? So to the leaders, to the quarterbacks in whatever organizations, when somebody gets recognized, and I really do think that people need to be recognized, but what are the values that are being recognized? Because that's where encouragement takes root. And I'd love to have a conversation if people want to follow up, but please, please, as a leader, how do you want people to describe you non-physically? And then put people in your life who will encourage those values so that you can grow and be responsible so that you can take the initiative and thrive. John, I have so enjoyed this conversation and I do hope our listeners have as well. If they were curious about your work and they wanted to learn more, how best could they access your resources or get in touch with you? Easiest way is go to the website. And so I'm just going to it's fortlog.co. So fort, safe place in the frontier. You got to know where you're going. A log is a journal to sail the seas. There's no point going there alone. Fortlog.co.co because no point. I work with people. And then forward slash drop in CEO. And that's the easiest way to connect with me. All right, John, I am so excited that I got a chance to know you, your insights. This was a very valuable rewarding conversation to share with our listeners. I do wish you continued success and thank you for being a great guest. And I thank you, Deb. This has been an honor and very best to you and your clients you serve. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. 
If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.